Hi, this is Warren Butfinick, your host for Help with Parkinson's. We're in episode number 33, and our guest today is Dr. Subramanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Sub. Hi, Warren. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, glad to have you. So uh, we have a couple topics to bring up, a little bit complicated, so I'm going to let you start right off and go into them, and I'll ask you some questions. Sure. So what we thought would be worthwhile talking about um, are the different subtypes of Parkinson's disease. So when you hear the word subtypes, you immediately um, wonder what those are. So let's define what they are. So Parkinson's disease is defined typically, as we have covered in many other um, programs, many other podcasts, as idiopathic. Idiopathic means we don't know the reason and it has a specific pattern. Uh, typically, there is something called resting tremor. There's uh, uh, something called bradykinesia or slowness of movement. There's uh, rigidity, which somebody has to see and feel. And you have all three things and you have a natural course of the disease. It starts a certain way. It uh, progresses a certain way. And after five to 10 years, Uh, of having very good results from medication. You develop um, side effects such as um, motor complications, so on and so forth. So this is the natural cause of Parkinson's disease. But as we have discussed before, and as many of the listeners may already know, everybody doesn't fit the bill exactly the same way. So over the years, um, doctors have tried to classify Parkinson's disease into subcategories as subtypes. And typically there are uh, four different types that have been classified uh, traditionally in the movement disorder slash Parkinson's world. One type is called the tremor predominant or tremor predominant. So in this variety, patients have tremor and tremor is really the most dominant finding Tremor predominant PD typically occurs uh, in younger people. So uh, the age of onset of tremor predominant is thought to be in the 50s, late 50s, maybe early 60s. And occasionally tremor predominant happens in the mid 60s. And rarely it happens in the 70s and 80s. So these patients... Uh, with the tremor-predominant Parkinson's disease do develop other symptoms, for example, slowness uh, and uh, difficulty with balance. However, they tend to develop this later, meaning usually happens five, ten years later. Also, these patients also do not develop many of the complications of Parkinson's disease, such as dementia, until much later. So they don't develop dementia until 10 years later or 15 years later. So that's the first kind. The second kind is sometimes called the akinetic rigid variety, A-K-A-N-I-T-I-C, akinetic rigid, R-I-G-I-D, rigid type. In this variety, uh, patients are slow, and akinesia means uh, lack of movement, And typically, these patients have more problems in the legs or equal amount of problem in the leg as in the hand. The hand and legs are equally affected. And usually, they have it 
um, somewhat on both sides, left and right side of the body, uh, somewhat affected. And uh, they're slow to move. They, are, they may or may not have tremor, but the tremor is not the dominant symptom. Uh, the movement abnormalities in the lower extremities uh, might affect them just as bad. So this is called the akinetic rigid variety. And then on the extreme, there is another variety called the postural instability and gait disorder variant, or otherwise called PIGD variant. So the PIGD, postural instability and gait disorder variant, is where patients have a lot of difficulty with walking and frequently have falls, a lot of falls, early in their disease. And they have very little or no tremor, or the tremor is minimal. And this is called the PIGD variant. And then there is the intermediate. Intermediate is, uh, it neither fits these other three categories we just mentioned, which is it's not pre- pre- tremor predominant, it's not akinetic rigid, and it's not the postural instability or gait disorder variant. Now, again, this classification of four different varieties has been around for many years, many decades now, almost two decades, and it tends to be used poorly, and at least the new papers that have come out um, tend to argue that this classification is not very helpful and that it tends to create problems. Uh, one biggest problem, the number one problem that has been identified off late is the misuse or poor use of the PIGD variant, the postural instability and gait disorder variant. Um, when one study looked at all the patients that were diagnosed with this particular entity and they watched what happened to these people over a period of five years, they found out that majority of the patients who had the PIGD variant did not stay that way. And majority of them, vast majority of them, ended up having another disease, either uh, problems with the blood supply in the brain, what we call vascular Parkinsonism, or they had um, a different condition altogether, like Parkinson plus syndrome, like multisystem atrophy, or they had occasionally uh, progressive supranuclear palsy, PSP. And these are sometimes called atypical Parkinson's disease. They ended up being bad. So only 11% of patients who diagnosed with PIGD remained in the PIGD state after five years. So that's surprising and somewhat shocking in that uh, legitimate diagnosis of Parkinson's changes within five years, and only a very small percentage of those patients remained in the PIGD variant, which questions whether there is really PIGD or not. And uh, another uh, recent work, um, Dr. Vikasu has uh, published a paper in Annals of Neurology recently, questions whether this PIGD is really PIGD at all. Um, and the thought then is that if such patients have other illnesses, for example, diabetes, or they have hypertension, the changes diabetes and hypertension produces with aging, uh, narrowing of small blood vessels in the brain, causing damage to different areas of the brain, may actually be the real reason why they are having problems with their balance and has nothing to do with Parkinson's at all. 
And then a third paper, and the third paper just came very recently in January of this year. Very interesting paper because uh, this happened in England. Uh, and what they did was they collected the brain specimens, people who had donated their brains after they had Parkinson's disease and they passed. Um, they collected 147 brains. And they looked at these brains very, very carefully to see what kind of pathology they ha do they have. And they looked for two different kinds of pathology. One is Parkinson's type of pathology. And secondly, they looked at Alzheimer kinds of pathology. And uh, postmortem has some advantage because your diagnosis is 100%. They know for sure whether the person had Parkinson's or not. And the reason why they look for Alzheimer pathology is that as people get older, um, the brain does develop Alzheimer-like pathology, even if it didn't have Alzheimer's. And surprisingly, what they found was that uh, instead of the four types of classification that we went over earlier, it might make more sense to divide it up into three types of pathology. And the three types of pathology, the first one is same as what we discussed before, the tremor-predominant or mortal-predominant Parkinson's disease. These are people who develop disease when they're younger, um, between the ages of 55 and 65, they develop Parkinson's disease, and they typically have a lot of tremor, typically in the hand, uh, so-called pill-rolling rust tremor, and usually only on one side, and progress real gradually. It takes a long time for them to develop complications. They live typically up to the age of 80, at least on, in this group of uh, 147 brains that they looked at, they analyzed 111 after removing a few that um, the brains were not preserved properly or had other issues with the, with the brain. So they analyzed 111 brains. And of those, those who had the tremor-predominant uh, Parkinson's disease and had early onset between the age of 55 and 65, they lived at, until the age of 80 um, before they passed. And during that 25 years, had very little complications until the last five years of their life. And the last seven to five, uh, five to seven years of life, they had uh, complications uh, such as, you know, falls, so on and so forth. And then they had another group. And this was a group that had the disease onset at the age of 70. So there were people 70 or older. Now, these uh, individuals had... Uh, did not have the tremor-predominant type of Parkinson's, but they had more cognitive problems, thinking problems, along with the uh, more uh, slowness of movement, a little bit of tremor, but that wasn't a big deal. They also had a lot of um, RBD, REM behavioral disorder, so they had a lot of sleep disturbances. Um, and they also have dysautonomia, meaning the blood pressure dysregulation occurred later in life. And again, when they looked at the brain and looked at the pathology in the brain, they had classic Parkinson's pathology, Lewy bodies. Uh, but these people had uh, rapid progression of disease. Uh, their disease seemed to go from being very mild to moderate at time of onset to very severe within 10 years. So by the time of 80, these people were also uh, dying and had lots of complications within a short period of time. And then there was an intermediate group, which was not uh, the motor predominant or the more severe cognitive predominant uh, intermediate group. And the intermediate group did somewhat in between. But clearly, the early onset group 
uh, did real better. Uh, overall, their prognosis was better. They lived a longer life with less complications. So this raises the question, um, what's the best treatment and best uh, modality of uh, management uh, that needs to be done for Parkinson's disease and whether uh, we're doing any favors to people to be diagnosed with PIGD, progressive, so the, uh, the uh, gait disturbance and uh, the partial instability uh, subtype. And the answer seems like uh, it's probably not a good thing, not a good diagnosis. And if you have that diagnosis, it needs to be relooked. Uh, last but not the least, um, an MRI study was done recently. People with PIGD had MRIs done. And in this MRI study, it looks like a lot of vascular abnormalities were found, meaning they seem to have had small mini-strokes. And these mini-strokes seems to be the reason why their balance was poor. It had nothing to do with Parkinson's. And at least on the MRI, it looks like they had a lot of tiny um, white matter changes, which not expected to be seen in Parkinson's disease. So in, in short, subtypes of Parkinson's disease seems to be an important thing to uh, recognize, especially for prognosis or how you're going to do in the long run. And this particular subtype called the PIGD, postural instability and gait dis disorder, uh, seems to be a misused and poorly applied subtype, which is very little value. And probably people with this diagnosis don't deserve the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. They probably have another entity and treating them differently would actually do them a huge favor. Hmm. It's a good summary, a very complicated topic. So uh, what it seems like to me is, is if you present with just the shaking in the beginning and you slowly develop into the other insta postural instability, constipation, falls, all those things slowly over time, you'll live a long life with a with very slow progression of the disease. But if you come present to the doctor in the beginning saying, I keep falling and I have a little bit of a tremor, but I keep falling all the time, that's the person that their prognosis isn't going to be as good because they're presenting with late symptoms early on the disease. Um, yeah, I think that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, I think the the important message I think from all these studies is that if your doctor, neurologist uh, diagnosed you with postural instability um, and gait dysfunction, PIGD variant of Parkinson's disease, uh, this requires a second look. Uh, this requires a second opinion. This requires uh, follow-up to see whether you have something else going on, um, particularly whether it's uh, complications related to small strokes in the brain um, and whether your white matter, your brain of white matter is, is uh, affected. And if it is affected, uh, for example, if you have concomitant diabetes, you also have diabetes, you also have hypertension and you have this variant has been diagnosed. You, they said, oh, it's Parkinson's, but it's the PIGD variant. Well, I think it's worth getting a second opinion and the second opinion might change what we do in terms of managing you, not just give you more and more Parkinson medicine, but um, look at other options for people who have 
complications due to diabetes and hypertension, which would include treatment of blood vessel disorders, looking carefully for uh, things that produce mini strokes, um, consider other types of therapies such as rehab and physical therapy, um, and not push so much the anti-Parkinson medicine in such individuals because they're really not benefiting from this high-dose uh, medications because they probably don't have a true form of Parkinson's, at least based on the recent studies. Um, so if they have the PIGD variant, they need to be leery about that diagnosis and it needs to be relooked. So that's the first message. The second message is that, and I think this is already known to a lot of the listeners, but it may be worth emphasizing. If you have uh, tremor predominant Parkinson's, which you developed when you were in the late 50s, or even younger, if you're younger onset with tremor on one side of the body, then your prognosis is actually really good. Um, you live many years, 25 to 30 years, without major complications. And if you're going to develop complications, they're going to be late. So uh, in such individuals, you should not think the same way, oh, I'm going to have a dreadful future. I don't have a great future. I, I, I fear what's going to happen really nothing to fear. This autopsy study really shows that for many years, you're going to live a very high quality life and your disease progression is going to be slow. Um, and I think that's the second message from the, these studies. Okay. So maybe if I could explain things a little differently, maybe not so simple. Could it be that if somebody presents to you with something other than the normal progress of Parkinson's, instead of saying that, that, we just could treat you the same way, maybe with a little extra drugs. You look for other underlying conditions that could be pushing it in a different direction. Correct. I think that's, that, that would be a, a very good summary, is that um, if you are not progressing like you're supposed to be progressing, and you and your loved ones are wondering why is so-and-so falling a lot and why is so-and-so having a lot of problems, um, and you have that diagnosis of PIGD, Parkinson's, uh, partial instability and gait disorder, gait dysfunction associated with Parkinson's disease, uh, it's important to have a second look. If you don't have that diagnosis, PIGD has not been the label given to your Parkinson's disease, well, then there may be a lot of other reasons why you're not doing well. You know, maybe you're not compliant, your medication regimen is not optimal, lots of other reasons are there. But if somebody has already given you that particular subtype diagnosis, PIGD, then uh, it's worth a second look and worth to see whether that do you really have Parkinson's or not. Um, I hope that makes sense. I don't know. All right. So this could kind of be good news for both, both camps because it's good news if you develop things slow because you're going to live a long life and just the end of, end of it will be a, a little bit of a problem. And the other way is, people that develop things fast, they'll be looking at more ways to make that person feel better than just telling them they have to live with it. Right. Exactly. So it's good news. good news for everybody. Yes, it is good news. Uh, and it's important that they become more vigilant about this. You know, right. they become more aware and they're more vigilant about this. Uh, this. And, and, and also to, another reason to go to a movement disorder specialist, because this type of thinking is so new that the non, non-specialists, are going off things 20 years ago. There'll be, two, there'll be all the stuff learned in the last 20 years, 
and now all this stuff they'll be behind. Absolutely. I think that's uh, really on point. Um, I think even contemporary movement disorder doctors are just grappling with this right now. So it's not something that uh, a lot of movement disorder doctors even would be conversant. So it's important that you seek the best care. And I think we've talked about this in other podcasts that um, most definitely at least once a year seeing uh, a highly qualified movement disorder doctor who has many years of experience plus who keeps up with the literature and who's up to date with what's going on um, is important. And if you're not getting the satisfactory uh, opinion, you you should seek a second or third or even a fourth opinion. That's definitely worth it because these little changes can be uh, quite significant. It can make uh, your life uh, dramatically different based on who's seeing you and who's making the correct diagnosis for you. Okay. And let's take, let's go back a little bit and talk about uh, Robin Williams. Wait, the, the news report came out saying they were wrong, that it wasn't real Parkinson's. It was Parkinsonian, Lewy mm-hmm. body dementia. Mm-hmm. Does this new, new way of talking about subsets affect that, the way we talk about Lewy body dementia? Uh, yes and no. Um, so Lewy body dementia is very similar to Parkinson's disease at the very beginning with some key differences. So Lewy body dementia has dementia. So what is dementia? So let's talk about that for a moment. Dementia means memory difficulty, thinking difficulty that the patient actually complains about. So, uh, if the patient does not complain about it, they are, yeah, well, uh, I have no problem with my thinking and memory and I'm functioning well. And the family members that are surrounding them also agree that there's no cognitive impairment or they don't perceive a cognitive impairment. It's unlikely that they have Lewy body's dementia to begin with. Second feature and a very important feature of Lewy body disease is that they frequently have hallucinations, visual hallucinations, typically see things that are not there. And I've explained this before in our previous podcast on it. They typically see a small animal, like a bunny rabbit or a a mouse or a kitten or something like that, a small thing. And usually um, it has a funny color Like sometimes they see a red bunny rabbit or they see uh, a different color mouse or something like that. And they usually know that it's not real, but they see them. And they see them very early in their disease. Within a year or two after diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, they start seeing these things. Another feature of Lewy body disease is that they react poorly to medicines such as Requip and Mirapax, the dopamine agonists. Uh, when they take them, they frequently get lots of complications, like they hallucinate very, in very low doses. So they start at 0.25 milligrams of Requip, and if they escalate it to 0.5, which is the next dose, they start hallucinating. And early reaction to these medicines, early poor reaction to these medicines, is another indication that they probably have Lewy body disease. And finally, the fourth feature is that they have excessive daytime sleepiness. So they frequently fall asleep during the day multiple times. So these are four classic features of Lewy body disease, which is they have dementia, 
means they complain about memory problems. At the very outset, within the first year of diagnosis, they have hallucinations, they have frequent daytime sleepiness, um, and they, these are features that brings attention to Lewy body disease. Now, that's little different from Parkinson's disease, where they don't have these features. Parkinson patients typically don't have a lot of hallucinations. Um, they don't have dementia at the beginning of the disease. And uh, frequently, they have motor symptoms like tremor, gait difficulty, slowness of movement, so on and so forth, what we call akinetic rigid syndrome, etc. cetera. Uh, but later on, they may develop these findings, but usually it takes four or five years before they start developing these findings. So the distinction between Lewy body disease and Parkinson's disease, although might be difficult for the layperson, is usually not that difficult for Parkinson's specialists, and they can figure this out. Now, talking about Robin Williams and his illness, um, there are many other issues with Robin Williams. He had, uh, of course, very high-quality care, but he also had a lot of other comorbidities that come with the people who are in the uh, industry, uh, in the entertainment industry. He had many years of, uh, you know, uh, some of the things that happen in the entertainment industry, as, such as abuse of different medications, so on and so forth, and alcohol, and so on and so forth, that happened for many years. Um, and he himself, Robin, has been very open about his, uh, his life. He also had pre-existing mild depression, uh, which he had treated in the past, but as he came down with the Lewy body disease, it became increasingly um, desperate that his memory difficulties was making him harder for him to function. So um, that, of course, affected his life, and, of course, depression took over uh, a more serious turn of events and, unfortunately, uh, didn't uh, spare his life, uh, and that did happen. So... Um, Personal take on this is that uh, it's tragic, very unfortunate. We lost a superbly talented, highly decorated uh, artist uh, who has done yeoman service for Parkinson's disease. This, this very special movie um, uh, that uh, got him uh, many accolades uh, is still a classic in Parkinson's disease, uh, the movie Awakenings that he acted as uh, the famous Parkinson doctor is still um, an iconic movie. We lost him for a very tragic disease, but uh, I'm not sure we can expand beyond that to say anything more uh, that is applicable for other people. Regarding subtypes, I'm not sure that really applies here either. So. Right, that's what I was wondering. Okay. Okay, so uh, anything else you want to talk about from, the, from this? Yeah, not really. I think the message is very clear. I think I want to just emphasize the message, which is uh, the subtypes are important. If you have the tremor-predominant young-onset Parkinson's disease, you should be very encouraged. The new studies uh, indicate that you're going to live many, many years without major complications. You should live a full life, and I've always said everybody with Parkinson's should live a full life. And the second message, which I think is equally important, is that if you have a subtype that has been diagnosed as PIGD, um, be skeptical and encourage uh, getting second opinion, third opinion, even a fourth opinion um, before you buy that diagnosis because there's uh, things that masquerade as Parkinson's that's not Parkinson's. Okay, and the one thing I wanted to say is if uh, you present 
your symptoms present in the beginning anything other than the one-sided shakiness and that's about it, you really need to make sure you go to a specialist, a movement disorder specialist, because you have something going on besides normal. And maybe your family doctor could handle it for a year or so if it's the standard one, but if it's not, you, you can end up in some trouble. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Hey, it's a good uh, session. Uh, thank you again for inviting me. Sure. Thank yeah. you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.